in chapter 12, and I'd like to pray, and then Alan is going to read our scripture passage. Romans chapter 12, please. There are Bibles in the back as well. We'll also show the verses on the screen. Romans 12. Let's ask for the Spirit's help. Spirit of God, we ask you to open the eyes of our hearts. We know that your word is living and active. (laughs) That's what it is. You use your word in, in an alive way. We don't bring your word alive. It is alive. But let us experience that right now. Spirit of God, we pray. Help us to understand and apply the holy scriptures. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Let's listen to God's word. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Alan. So we're calling this series The Ordinary Extraordinary Church. It's It's a series on what's called ecclesiology. That just means the doctrine of the church or the biblical teaching about the church. It's not an exhaustive series on this important topic, but we've covered so far the structure of the church. We we defined what a church is, and we talked about membership and leadership in the church. And then we've covered, if you will, the, the culture of the church that we want to see here that would be a gospel or Jesus centered culture. Do you recall of experiencing God's power through weakness in the gospel? And to that end, we talked about the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper as aspects of that Jesus centered culture, those signs and seals of God's covenant promises. And now we're hitting on the purposes of the church, the purposes of the church. Last week we looked at the upward purpose of the church in worship and glory to God, glorifying God. This week and next week we're going to talk about what you might call the inward purpose of the church, ministry to one another in particular. Now to unpack these purposes of the church, we are covering one chapter of the Bible Romans chapter 12. And the key to this chapter, the, the heading, if you will, will be found in the verses we looked at last week. So I want to remind you of what we saw last week in verses 1 and 2. For these verses inform the rest of the chapter. Verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by 11 chapters of the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So think of those verses as as the heading, the theme, the key verses to the whole chapter. Verse 1 says, the Christian life is a life of worship. And verse 2 tells you how you pursue that in particular. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. J.B. Phillips rather famously paraphrased verse 2 as this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. That's a pretty good paraphrase. Let me read it again. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Let God remold your minds from within. But I want to ask you this. Where to start in that process? That's a lifelong process. Where to start in that process? What would you prioritize in that process of not being squeezed into this world's mold, but being conformed and transformed by the renewal of your mind? I mean, if you were writing the book of Romans, and you told your readers, don't be squeezed into the mold of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, what would you prioritize next? What would you want your readers to start with in that regard? Would you begin with making sure you correctly evaluate right from wrong? Making sure you think rightly about honesty, money, sexuality? Would you come up maybe with a a list of do's and don'ts? So therefore, here are the movies you should see and shouldn't see. Here's the music you should listen to and shouldn't listen to. All those may be important applications, but that's not where God starts. In this passage, a renewed mind begins with how we think about ourselves. Specifically, how we think about ourselves in relation to the church. Here's how I would sum up what God seems to put on the top of the list in terms of the renewal of our minds. That we would see that you need the church and I need the church and the church needs you. That might be the the bottom line of application at least. That you need the church and the church needs you. Let's split that up into two parts and think about each point of application. First, you need the church. You and I both need the church. Verse 3, verse 3 says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Now, do you see the connection with verse 2? In verse 2, he said, be transformed by the renewal of what? of your minds. Now in verse 3, what's the accent? 
Your thinking, notice it shows up four times actually. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment or literally sober thinking. So, here's where a renewed mind starts, at least in this passage. It starts with some sober thinking about yourself. But how? How should you do that? Well, God tells us. Think with sober judgment. Think with sober thinking. Each, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, it's kind of a difficult phrase. It could mean that God portions out different amounts of faith to different believers. He ladles out different amounts to different people. It could mean that, but I think it's better. I think it's better to see that this is the faith measured equally by God to all believers in Jesus. God measures out faith in the gospel, faith in the good news. That's how faith is used to this book in the point in the book of Romans. And I think it makes sense with probably the background of the letter. Many think the background would be a degree of tension between Jewish believers in Jesus and non-Jewish believers in Jesus. So this would make a lot of sense. Think soberly about yourself, realizing we all have this faith in Jesus measured out to us by God. But then you should ask, well, okay, how is that supposed to make a difference for me? We all have faith in Jesus. How does that help me think soberly? Well, verse 4 really explains. Verse 4 says, For, or let me give you the reason for why I say that. For, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, who believe in Jesus, who have this Faith measured out to us equally. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and notice individually members one of another. So to show the effect of our shared faith in Jesus Christ, Paul uses his favorite illustration for the church, the human body, which we can all relate to. You have a body. He's saying, just like your body is is one body, I trust you'd agree, with many different parts, Hands, arms, feet, eyes, ears, kidney, heart, many different parts, and each part playing a different part in your body. Hands can grab things, arms can move the hands, feet can carry the body, eyes see, ears hear, kidneys filter the blood, heart pumps the blood. Well, that's what he says church life is like. It's what the church is like in verse 5. So we who believe... Though many are one body in Christ. He's saying many different parts to this body. Many different parts, each with a different role, but a fundamental unity. We're one in Christ to have this faith measured out to us by God. And, he says, verse 5, we are thus individually members one of another. Isn't that an interesting phrase? individually members one of another. It's like your physical body. Each part, I trust you'd agree, needs the other parts of the body. In that sense, they are individually members one of another. They're all part of the same body. 
And so it is in the church. We are, we are interdependent. We are interdependent. We need each other. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, the same apostle explodes this little analogy here. And I want to just reference one verse from 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, for instance, using this analogy, this metaphor, for instance, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. He's applying the same metaphor. Imagine your eye doing that. Saying to your hand, look, hand, I, the eye, get to see things. I get to read the Bible. I'm more spiritual than you are. I get to look at computers. I'm more productive than you are. So hand, I don't need you. What would you say to your eye? (laughs) You'd say, wait a minute, buddy. (laughs) Who's going to hold that Bible? Who's going to turn those pages? Who's going to turn the computer on and and use the keyboard? It's the hand. You, I, cannot say to your hand, I don't need you. You're interdependent. Same with the head. Saying to the feet. Look, feet, sometimes you smell bad. I don't need you. Don't need you around anymore, feet. You'd say, head, you're crazy. You want to just stay in one place for the rest of your life, head? You need the feet to move you around, to walk and run. Of course, you need every other part of the body. And God is trying to renew our minds this way for ourselves as it relates to the church. Think think about it. First and foremost, on God's list of ways this world can squeeze us into its mold First and foremost on God's list of this world kind of thinking is good old-fashioned American self-sufficiency. Good old-fashioned American individualism. In her article, I thought, helpfully titled, Why the Devil Loves American Individualism, Leslie Baugh writes, just listen, quote, individualism is taking a toll on Americans. American culture has confined us to our solitary bubbles, our solitary bubbles through the emphasis on individualism, self-sufficiency, and in more recent years, rampant social media use, which can isolate us. She writes, we're all imprisoned in tiny, solitary confinement bubbles that can wreak havoc on our relationships and our health. She says there's a reason solitary confinement is a punishment. You hear what she's saying? Do you hear how this age is seeking to squeeze you into its mold? Solitary bubbles of individualism Solitary bubbles of self-sufficiency so that we live imprisoned in a kind of spiritual solitary confinement. So it's the mindset of all I need for the Christian life is me, myself, and I. If I got me, myself, and I, I'm good. So I got my solitary bubble for my marriage. 
And I got my solitary bubble for my parenting. I got my solitary bubble, my solitary confinement for my current temptations and trials and difficulties. It's in effect saying, I'm an eye, I don't need the hand. I'm the head, I don't need the feet. And a renewed mind says, not all I need is me, myself, and I. A renewed mind here says, I need you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. We need each other. I'm just part of this body and desperately need every other part playing its part. So let's make this more personal. Ask yourself, what is my current church participation showing that I believe about my need for the body of Christ? not trying to condemn or discourage, just evaluate. What is my current participation saying that I believe in my thinking here about my need for the rest of the body of Christ? What does my recent engagement with others in this church show I think I need for my life as a single adult? What does my recent engagement with others show that I need for my life as a teenager? My joys and my challenges in marriage or parenting. Friends, have you, maybe without realizing it, imprisoned yourself in a kind of spiritual solitary confinement? I want to say to you that God holds out to you blessing and help. God designed you for community. Community with himself and with his people. Beware of American individualism squeezing you into its mold and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, realizing God holds out to you a glorious interdependence, a glorious interconnected life in the church, a place where you can benefit from all the other parts of the body. That means a couple of things, doesn't it? It means, one, if you haven't yet joined a good local church somewhere, join a church. Join a church. A good, some good local church somewhere. Join a church. Not a perfect church because you're not going to find that. Join a healthy body. And number two, it means don't just join don't just attend, participate actively. Be known by others so that you can benefit from the rest of the body. Be known by others so you can have every other part playing its, its part. I say this with, with all love, and I mean it with all gentleness and, and care. No one else is going to be able to read your mind to know where you need their part playing its part in your life. They cannot figure that out unless you tell them. I'm not trying to be snarky. But if you don't tell them, I could use help here. Then how will you benefit from the body there? If, if you're in a solitary bubble for your marriage, 
there are challenges, but you're not bringing anyone in the body in, how will you receive help from the body? If you've got challenges in your personal life, challenges in your parenting, challenges you fill in the blank, and no one really knows, how will you receive care? Friends, God holds out to us a much, much better way so that we together can rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, care with others who need some care. So sober thinking, sober thinking begins with this conviction. I need the church. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It goes on, secondly, to, to believe that the church needs you. You need the church, but maybe here's the accent in this passage. The church needs you. The church, the body, needs, needs you. Notice where he takes this in verse 6. Notice what God says to us next in verse 6. Having gifts, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So he's talking about spiritual gifts, gifts of grace, to be used in, in service. Gifts of grace, that means you can't boast in it, you just say thank you. It's a gift of grace. And all believers have such gifts. There are no ungifted Christians. It's interesting, Paul here did not found or had not yet visited this group of house churches in Rome. But his assumption was all these gifts are taking place because there are no ungifted Christians. Gifts like the following, verse 6 continues, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's walk through those briefly one at a time. The New Testament gift of prophecy is at the top of the list. That doesn't mean you are Isaiah or Jeremiah reincarnate. It just means God may spontaneously bring things to mind for other people's upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation, 1 Corinthians 14.3. He says, use that gift in proportion to our faith, or more literally, more literally, in proportion to the faith. In other words, do this, and what you speak needs to be in line with accepted Christian truth. You share something subjectively, it must line up with what is objective, the Word of God. He goes on, or if your gift is serving, oh, by golly, use it to serve. Now, certainly all of us are called to serve, but some, don't they just excel at it? It's like breathing for them. I thought immediately of Dan and Melanie Arthur. All of us are needed to serve. It's incumbent upon all of us to serve, but you just, you can't stop the authors from serving. It's amazing. They're amazing people. Or if your gift is teaching, well, by golly, then teach. If your gift is exhortation, urging people on in grace as they follow Christ, well, then exhort them. If your gift is contributing financially, he says, another thing every Christian's called to do. So don't, please don't say, well, I don't have that gift. <laughs> don't need to go to the offering box because God didn't give me that gift. It's the gift least prayed for, perhaps. But God says he loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful 
giver. So are we all called to give generously? Yes. But don't you find some people have a spirit-empowered ability to do this? Oftentimes they are blessed with resources and they just can't wait to invest them in kingdom purposes. If that's you, God says, keep on going generously. If your gift is leading in any form, do so with zeal, with passion for the Lord. If you have a gift of showing mercy, that's a wonderful gift, do it cheerfully. I was talking on the phone with Craig and Nazarene Reed on Friday, and they were on their way back or had just gotten back from the food distribution at Bridge of Hope in City Heights, and they were excitedly telling me about their plans to serve more children of brand new immigrant families in City Heights. Gifts of mercy being used cheerfully. Now, that's just a sample platter, okay? That's not an exhaustive list of gifts. In fact, if you compare the lists of gifts in Scripture, you'll find they're all different. They're all different because they're not meant to pigeonhole you into these are the only ways God might use you in the body. Another thing to notice here is that what we might call supernatural gifts are right alongside what we might call non-supernatural gifts. You've got prophecy right right alongside of service. And you find this in other passages. You'll have gifts of miracles right alongside helps, administration. And if you ask the Apostle Paul, maybe in heaven later on, Paul... Why do you list supernatural gifts right alongside non-supernatural, ordinary, just everyday kind of gifts? Why do you do that? He would tell, tell you, the Holy Spirit inspired me to list the gifts this way because they're all supernatural. They're all empowered by the same Spirit of the living God. Don't make that dichotomy here. These are ways the Spirit uses his people in real ministry. So you say, Tab, what's the point? The point is, use your spirit-empowered gifts of grace because the church needs you. The church needs you. This church needs you, friends. Let's make this personal. This church needs you. Be encouraged, and I hope not discouraged by this. But this church will be deficient if all of us are not using our gifts to serve or teach or sing or play an instrument or prophesy or give or exhort or show mercy or on and on and on. Now certainly, certainly there are seasons of time when we just can't. Um, When you've had a newborn, (laughs) your time is occupied differently. But as a principle here, we will be deficient, friends, if every part is not playing its part to build up the body. You see, when it comes to these gifts, when it comes to these gifts, we must keep in mind the big picture of what this is all about. I love the story of Christopher Wren, famous architect who was overseeing the construction of St. Paul's Cathedral in London in the early 1700s. The story goes, I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a good story. The story goes that Christopher Wren was touring the grounds of St. Paul's Cathedral one day, 
as it was under construction. And he asked one worker what he was doing. And the man said, well, I'm cutting stone. And Christopher Wren went to a second worker and he said, what are you doing? And the man said, I am making money. Christopher Wren went to a third worker who seemed more joyful and said, what are you doing? And the man said, I am building St. Paul's Cathedral. He had the big picture in view, didn't he? He was connecting the dots. He realized he was building something bigger than himself. I think we need the same. Realize this is about something bigger than you and me and identifying our particular gift. This is about building up the body of Christ. So God is saying to us here, don't, friend, don't put these gifts on the shelf. Don't put them in the back of the pantry of your life. Put these gifts I've given you into practice so that the body of Christ may be built up in your midst. It really gets to, doesn't it? It really gets to that issue of how we view the church. Bottom line, I think it gets to how are we viewing the church. I read an article recently that talked about three reasons why we become apathetic about the church. Three reasons why we just stop caring very much about coming on Sundays and serving in various ways. Said one reason is comparison. We grow apathetic because we compare our church with other churches. We believe our church compares unfavorably, has deficiencies, which of course it does, and we become apathetic about our church. The second reason was, for church apathy, just busyness, a love of efficiency. The article was saying how we're trained now to use every moment of every day efficiently, and we come to the local church, and it doesn't seem very efficient. (laughs) Yeah, can you say Grace Church? It's slow-moving, a place in which God works over time. We get apathetic because we don't see the quick results we want. But the third reason, I think, is the big one. The third reason for church apathy, I think, is the big one. The article mentioned comfort. And who doesn't like comfort? I love comfort. The article said we, we spend money on our comfort. We live, oftentimes, for comfort, a more comfortable house, a nicer car, the ability to eat out more often, uh, larger retirement savings, or what have you. None of those wrong things, but this desire for comfort leads to church apathy because we think, we think of the church as a place that should be just catering to us and our comfort. And if our needs are not fully met, our preference is not fully fulfilled, well, why attend and certainly why serve? Let me ask you then, in light of all this, have you grown apathetic about the church? I think this is easy to have happen in our culture, but has the church become mainly a place where your needs are met? Or is it mainly a place where God uses you to meet others? I'm not saying they're mutually exclusive. I'm not saying that. But what's sort of your default view? Is the church for you, as Pastor J.D. Greer has put it, is the church for you a cruise liner or an aircraft carrier? 
He said, we think of church as going on a cruise. And the church is here for providing all the luxuries you desire for your family. Sports programs, entertainment, entertaining music, childcare services. And the church merely serves me. Instead, he says, we should think of the church as an aircraft carrier. An aircraft carrier fuels up planes and catapults them out into mission. That's a good analogy. The church is kind of be like, to be like that in a ways. Fueling you up, fueling you up, I hope right now, putting you on the catapult and launching you into real ministry right here and outside these walls. Equipping you to minister to other people. You can think of these gifts that way. God maybe has made you a certain kind of plane. And he wants to fuel you up and launch you into real ministry. And friends, we need that ministry. But there's one more group that that came to my mind as I was preparing this. There might be some of us here who are thinking right now, yeah, but I don't really have a role to play. Not anymore. I used to think that way, but not anymore. I was thinking about that because I read a blog post by Paul Tripp where he, he says this. He says, as we get older, the more we move from being an astronaut to an archaeologist. And I find this in my own life. As we get older, we move from, from being an astronaut to, to an archaeologist. We, we, we're, when we're younger, maybe, we think of ourselves as kind of an astronaut, spiritual astronaut. It's a time of exploration and discovery, of going where no man or woman has gone before, launching off. But then you get older, you get middle-aged like me, and you become an archaeologist. You just start looking back more than looking ahead. You spend a lot of time digging up the past and maybe with a lot of regret. Or digging up the past and just thinking, that was the past, I can't be used by God that way anymore. If that's you, I just want to say to you, God still has ways He wants to fuel you up and catapult you into real ministry. I do believe Ephesians 2 verse 10 still applies to us as long as we're breathing. Ephesians 2 verse 10 is greatly encouraging to me, where God says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Saved by good works? No, but created for good works, notice, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them now. You're still called to be that kind of astronaut. I do believe God still has good works for you to do, to walk in them. And we want you to do those right here because this church needs you, friends. So how do you find these gifts? Where do you start? The best best place to start is find a place to serve and start serving. Find a place to serve. And start serving. You've got, a, you've got a ministry team handout. I asked Tiffany to put this in one more time. It's got a list of various ministry teams that could use immediate help. 
Now, if you're not yet a member here, we want you to figure out the church home question first. But if you are a member here, maybe you're in that process, look over that list, find a ministry team, and consider if it might use your help right now. Don't worry about the perfect place to express your gifts. Just start serving, and God will use you, launching you to real ministry. So read over that list. Pray about that if you would. But also, friends, (coughs) excuse me, also, be on the lookout for, let's call them unstructured ministry opportunities. Unstructured ministry. For instance, with Floyd and Bethany and Joshua and Donna, it's been so encouraging to watch so many of you quickly rally with food being brought, childcare being brought. Friends, thank you for being that kind of church. Thank you for being that kind of people. You excel at this. Let me just urge you on to keep excelling. Ministry opportunities abound all around you right now. You can find ways to put the needs of others before yourself, and God will be launching you into real ministry. The point of all this, like we said, you need the church. And the church needs you. You need the church. And the church needs you. And the reason this matters ultimately is because the church is the bride for which Jesus Christ shed his blood. Church is the people for whom Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose to bring to himself. Do you remember the, the key verses at the heading of this chapter, do you remember? I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. By mercies from chapter 1 to chapter 11. Therefore, present your body as a living sacrifice. Friends, it's all about the mercies of God to us in Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose to make us His people. And so we want to end celebrating those mercies. We want to end celebrating the grace of God to us in Christ that has joined us together as a body for His own glory. So would the ushers prepare to serve us the Lord's Supper and the music team come. We want to begin, uh, sorry, end where we began. Rejoicing in God's grace. And that's, that's what the Lord's Supper here is really all about. Now, if you've yet to trust in Jesus Christ and experience that grace, we just ask you to pass the trays down the aisle. No one's here to judge you about that at all, but I would urge you to to consider the grace you're passing, to consider the, the unearned favor of God toward you in Christ, and to turn to Jesus right now, believing. Turn from going your own way and trust. Trust in what Jesus Christ has done. Rely on His life, His death for your sins, and His resurrection to bring you to God, and He will. I urge you right now, turn to Him and trust in Him, believing. And you too can enjoy this grace. 
If you're here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, as you take the bread and take the cup, hang on to both if you would. We'll take the Lord's Supper together. But as you hang on to both, be intentional to reflect on the amazing grace of God to you in Jesus, such that He has made you part of His people, the body of Christ, the church. Would the ushers please come?